Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Scalzo, Chronicles of the End Times. Thank you for being with us today as we look at Revelation chapter 17 and continue our study in the march towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 17, we're going to read about the woman on the beast. So let's dive right into the scripture this morning. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And the angel carried me away in the spirit into the desert. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominations and abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore the testimony to Jesus. That's quite a picture that's painted by the Holy Spirit in this prophecy given to John on the Isle of Patmos. We read this first six verses, and we could discuss those now, but I think it's best that we read the chapter and get a feel for what the Holy Spirit is saying, and this way we can discuss it and take it apart and look at it. So let's continue. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, and now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is. The other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast that once was, and now is not, is the eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for who one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They will have one purpose and give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw, where the prostitute sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Well, that's quite a mouthful there. That's a powerful and heavy-duty chapter that has many mysteries. And there are many interpretations of it. But I'm going to give to you uh, the one that I am very, very sure of. The one that I've studied for all these 40-some years that goes in harmony with many other uh, men that are uh, way smarter than I am. 
So let's look at it. So who is this woman? She's the false church, the universal church that joins to the Antichrist instead of the real Christ. This new world church has great worldwide appeal. It gives them what they want. We can see it today. You know, there's the true followers of Jesus, and there's those who follow a designer God. <laughs> you know, I call it a designer God. We take the scriptures and we mold them and shape them into something that we want, something that appeals to the flesh, appeals to our desires, and what we feel is right and just. And, you know, the scripture says there is a way that seems right unto a person, but the end leads to death. You have to be careful because, you know, in the days of Noah, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing a church that's developing and changing the gospel because this is what society says has to happen. So they're off course, like we talked about in prior podcasts. They've gone on another path. This church develops. It is developing, as I said, even as we speak and has been for many years. But here we see it coming into great power and great authority. And it has great appeal, worldwide appeal. Because it's really a church that has not followed the word of God is really just a social club. You know, it's just a place where people go to make themselves feel good and uh, has no bearing on their lives, no life-changing power. Revelation chapter 3, when it talks about the church of Laodicea, you know, and that's where we are today. We are in the age of the church of Laodicea, a church that's comfortable, the church that has what it needs, especially here in America. The real church of Jesus Christ is more like the church of Philadelphia, all right? That church uh, it didn't have much, but it was strong in the Lord and had a powerful anointing and gave a powerful witness in love and compassion. We can have love and compassion, but we still have to be strong and be a witness for Jesus, or how will anyone know that they've done wrong? And I think that's the biggest problem we have today in society. They say, how does anybody know that they're wrong? Because everybody says everything's okay. And meanwhile, they're not. True love of people tells them the truth in a way that's compassionate, but still, we need to be honest with people. So here we have this woman who represents this backslidden church, this new age church, and she's riding the beast which means that she's following along with the Antichrist. She's riding along with the new system of the world. And she's filled with lies and doctrines of demons. You know, she's called the great prostitute. And the Antichrist will use her to unify the world. He's covered a financial basis, promising everybody prosperity. And then he wants all the religious people to back him. So what does he use? He uses this backslidden church that's under his thumb. And they join in with the beast. They ride on this new system. It shows unity with the Antichrist. And the woman appears to be rich. You know, she has all this gold and she has these precious stones and pearls. And so what does that mean? It just means she's riding high on the prosperity of the world. The scripture also calls her the mystery of Babylon the Great. You know, the Roman writer Seneca wrote that harlots of Rome wore a nameplate on their foreheads. And so this woman has a nameplate on her forehead. And it's written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. So why is she called a prostitute? 
If you've been reading the Word for any length of time, you know that God compares that to worshiping demons and worshiping other so-called gods and calls it prostitution, unfaithfulness, spiritual unfaithfulness. And so this woman is filled with these so many things to worship. There used to be a religion, it may still exist today, but it was very big in the 60s and early 70s called Baha'i. You could go into one of their temples and you could choose the God you wish to worship because there were statues to every God you could possibly imagine and more. And so this is really like that. This is very comparative. So now this woman is saying, okay, look, you can worship anybody you want. I have plenty of demons. I have plenty of things to worship. All paths lead to this euphoria. You know, this is what's taught. And we know that there's only one door in one way. That's Jesus Christ. This only could be one truth. It can't be like 17 or 18 thousand different truths. There's one truth, and the truth is Jesus Christ. So she's called Mystery Babylon the Great, and there's more to it than that. Those of you who have been following along with the podcast, we know that Babylon represents the Great Rebellion. Ancient Babylon, back in the days of Nimrod, they built the Great Tower, and they were thumbing their nose at God. They built this Great Tower because God had, you know, flooded the earth generations before. And they wanted to make sure that they would survive. And other reasons they built it was for worship and to unify the people around Nimrod, who at the top of this tower built an altar to worship all the starry host. Babylon gives birth to every type of fallacy and every type of demon worship that is still going on today but disguised as different religions. So John sees the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And this is a flashback to chapter 7, where we saw the multitudes that John said were so great he couldn't even begin to number them. And there were those that came out of the Great Tribulation who defeated the Antichrist by the word of their testimony and the blood of Jesus Christ. So this apostate church has wielded great power along with the Antichrist and has killed and slaughtered millions of people that would not bow to the Antichrist or go along with this new world church. And then we see a great mystery. The beast once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. So what is this about? Well, there's many interpretations of this. But the one that makes the most sense and is in harmony with the rest of the scripture is that this is the Antichrist who we've read in chapter 12 and chapter 13, who rises up and then gets a fatal wound. In other words, he's killed. He once was, and then he's not. He's killed. And then he rises up out of the abyss. So what is going on here? Who is this deranged individual who wants to just rule the world? And we've seen uh, enough of those through history, right? Nothing new. We've seen them all. Genghis Khan, and way back to Nimrod, he was really the first one to form an army and kill other human beings. Then we've seen Hitler, of course, maybe the most famous tyrant of all. So we've seen them all. Now we see a new one, and he's the Antichrist, and he's winning over the world, and then he is killed. So he's assassinated. It could be by a zealous Jew, figures out he's not the Messiah, but he dies, and he's uh, killed, shot and killed, possibly. And then he rises up out of the abyss, 
Interesting. We see that Satan himself comes and inhabits this man at the halfway point of the tribulation. And that's when things really begin to change. In the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there's wars and things are not going well, but the Antichrist is still in charge and he's still promising the world this and that and the other thing and they're following him gladly. But then suddenly he's assassinated. And those of you who have been around a while, I was uh, alive and going to grammar school when Kennedy was killed and I remember the great mourning. You know, it was uh, just amazing how it impacted uh, the nation and the world. I believe this will be similar in the sense of its impact and even greater. And you can imagine funeral service that's probably going to be planned and all the nations of the world mourning over this man who they thought was going to be the greatest thing in the world. And all of a sudden, he stands up on nationwide TV, worldwide TV, every news network covering it, and the people are astonished. It's like the knockout punch. If there was any doubt, that this guy was just so amazing, godlike. He rises from the dead. So here he comes, Satan out of the abyss and inhabits the body of this man. Because we know that nobody can raise somebody from the dead except Jesus Christ. The devil is not capable of raising people from the dead. So he mocks it in the only way he can. And that's by inhabiting the flesh and blood of this man. And so he comes back to life as far as the world sees and they say, who was like the beast? That's what we read in chapter 12 and chapter 13. Who, who's like him? Who can make war against him? They're like flabbergasted. They can't give him enough praise. So what happens next? They talk about seven heads and seven hills on which the woman sits. The scripture tells us there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, but the other is not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. So we see that there are other nations, other rulers of this world. The scripture tells us that five have fallen. At the time of John's vision, we all know that the Roman Empire was in charge. They were ruling the earth. But who were the kingdoms before that? Well, we have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire with Alexander the Great, and they have all gone. And so Rome comes along, and they're oppressing Israel as well. And so now we have five have fallen, one is. So in the time of John, those five had already fallen, but the Roman Empire still was. But the other one had not yet come. So now we see a seventh kingdom. And that's what we talk about, the revived Roman Empire, is the seventh kingdom. And out of that seventh kingdom, the eighth king will come, and that's the Antichrist. It says, he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. So he has all the same attributes as the other kingdoms, and they all persecuted Israel. So this eighth king, who belongs to the seven, is going to his destruction. And the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, who for, for one hour will receive authority as kings. So they give him all his authority, and he becomes the eighth king, the final king of the earth. But now Satan is in control. He's where he wanted to be since the beginning of time when he fell. He wanted to be worshipped. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be like God. And now he's in that place. He's fooled the entire world. They love him. He's risen from the dead. He's like a God. Everything that Satan wanted, every little dream, every desire is being fulfilled, except for those Christians who still remain 
It will not serve him. And that's why he uses his power, the mark of the beast that we read about, and he starts closing his hand and tightening his fists around the whole world. And those that will not respond, those that will not come alongside of him and worship him, he will destroy. They will come together and they will make war against the Lamb. But as we know, the Lamb will overcome them because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And it's interesting that it's, Scripture goes on to say that with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. We see that the bride of Christ, those who have given their hearts to Jesus, who served him all those years, that are taken out of the earth in the rapture, come riding back with him in the battle of Armageddon. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 19. And those of you who are students of Bible prophecy uh, know that the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation complement each other, and they give us a lot of information about the last days. So let's look at that. Chapter 7, verse 19. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns, and on its head, and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked most imposing than the others, and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. I watched. This horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints, the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Daniel gives us a great look and a confirmation about what John sees. And he sees these ten kingdoms, these ten kings, coming out of this fourth beast, which is the Roman Empire. So I think we're pretty safe with that interpretation. And so we know that all these nations that come together and join this new uh, group of nations may or may not be the EU, the European Union. Uh, we know that's in transition right now, has been for years. We don't know how that's all going to fall out, but we do know that the Bible is true. So somehow, all the old territories of the Roman Empire will unite one way or another, because the Scripture says so. And they all have something in common, as we mentioned before. Every one of these kingdoms and territories that make up the old Roman Empire have persecuted the Jews and a Jewish nation down through history. But this future kingdom, according to Scripture, is only going to last a short time. It's only going to last until the Antichrist is done with them. So the beast is out of these seven kingdoms. And then out of them comes an eighth king, in which Daniel says three of them are going to fall before him. This could be that the Antichrist, when he rises up out of this new nation out of this new territory is going to maybe see three of these kings that you know don't agree with him and we also see the parallels because he said he watched as this horn came up this eighth king rose up he was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the ancient of days came and pronounced a favor on the saints and changed things so we have these parallels between what God showed Daniel and what God showed John on the Isle of Patmos. These are perfect examples. The nature of the Antichrist, what he's going to be doing, is both explained here in chapter 17 and here in chapter 7 of Daniel. So let's read a little further. It says, The ten horns are ten kings who will come 
from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and laws. The saints will be handed over to him for times, times, and a half a time. And so the description of the Antichrist is clear of what kind of person he's going to be. So we finish up the last three verses of Revelation chapter 17. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. As we said before, Satan wants to be worshipped. And there's no room for other, you know, another 10,000 gods or whatever is going on in this false church the Babylonian gods and that have gone down through the ages. They've changed names. You know, they turned into the Greek names. The Greeks called them something else, you know, Apollo and Zeus and on and on and on. He can only be the God. That's clear. He's getting ready to just have them worship him. Because we know he sets the mark of the beast. He puts up an image to himself. And if you don't want to worship him, you pay with your life. And the last verse says, the woman you saw is the great city which rules over the kings of the earth. There's a lot of debate. Is that the city of Rome, or is this referring to Babylon, which is the roots of all evil? And there are some things we don't necessarily need to know. You know, it sure would be nice to know everything. And uh, there's a lot of good studies that have a lot of opinions about what great city that is. Some call it Jerusalem because the Antichrist is reigning from there, and some call it Rome, because that's where the false church, the heart of the false church, comes from because of the Roman Empire. Or it could be Babylon, as we said before. So that is kind of irrelevant to what we need to know about this. Having a general knowledge of what God has in store is really the only thing a believer needs, solid foundation and understanding of the scriptures. We don't need to be able to explain every word, every word from the original Greek. We need to just, as we go forth, understand what's around us, understand what the whole scriptures say. The Bible is always in harmony with itself. So if you read something that feels weird and goes against what you think the gospel say or another piece of scripture says, then you need to leave that alone. You need to figure out, you know, what God wants you to know about that, because the Bible is always in harmony. And so our next episode, we're going to actually get into the Battle of Armageddon and the many, many details that the scriptures give, give us about the Battle of Armageddon. It's not a mystery. God has predicted it down through the ages, down through all his prophets. And we're going to look at that and see how God spells it out and just how awful that battle is and how many hundreds of millions and possibly several billion people perish during this time. And you have to remember that's after all the plagues and everything else that God has poured out. It's a good argument for the rapture as well, because when the Antichrist is done wrecking the earth and God's done pouring out his wrath on the Antichrist, there's not going to be too many people left. You know, I think if you go through the Bible, the book of Revelation, and start adding it up, it's, it's billions of people. So remember, there's two harvests. Those that follow Christ go out in that first harvest. Then the second harvest goes in the wine press and the blood stretches 180 miles. And that's a description of the Battle of Armageddon. And we'll get to that next time. So this is Russ Galsall, Chronicles of the End Times. Keep looking up. The King is coming. 
name is Jesus.